Dan uh, taught last week about the adventure that comes with faith, right? Talked about Peter stepping out of the boat and uh, what a turbulent and incredible experience that was for him to, to take that step out of the boat. The problem for me is I'm just not that adventurous, right? Any of you that adventurous? I'm not the guy that steps out of the boat. I'm the guy that stays in the boat. So, you know, it's wet enough sitting here. I don't need that kind of wet. That's permanent wet. That's bottom of the sea kind of wet. That's unrecoverable. I'm not getting out of the boat. That's me. And so uh, we looked at Peter and, and his step uh, into the adventure of faith. There was some failure in that, but at least he got out of the boat. He was willing to say, Jesus, if that's what you're doing, I want to come join you. Yes, he failed. But I'm in the boat going, I, I, no, no thanks. I'm good. Good. You enjoy that. I'm good. And so today I want to talk about those of us that would stay in the boat. If you're like me, you're not getting out of the boat unless you absolutely have to. And so that's, that's where this backdoor faith comes from. He often has to sneak in the back door because we're not holding the front door open. We're not inviting Jesus to come in and take us on a journey. So he goes, I'll tell you what, I'll come in the back way and surprise you with some stuff. And that's where the problems start. See, faith requires reliance on things we can't control, things we can't predict, things we can't manipulate. It's sort of requires a surrender of all the things we don't want to surrender. And so that's why we don't willingly jump out of the boat and begin that adventure. I wanted to give you a a little story about an adventure of faith I embarked on. Unwillingly, came through the back door. I was a youth pastor at a really large church in the area. And I I was doing... uh, junior high ministry for about five or six years and then our our high school group had gone through some transitions over the course of several years and it was not healthy and so uh, the numbers had dwindled from about 120 regular attenders to about 60. 60 is quite a bit don't get me wrong but for that church that was kind of a small number and the group was just had unhealthy group dynamics and it, there was a lot wrong with that. It was a very sick body of believers, that high school group. And so I moved from the junior high group to the high school group, in part because they would know me, and we had built up some trust when they were in junior high. There was, there was some history there. It was somebody they could trust, somebody they could be comfortable with. So I moved to the high school group, and uh, we had a retreat not too long after, and so I looked at the number of kids out there and I said, we got to have more than this. So I went around and I invited all of them to their faith. I was just like, you got to come. I really want you to come. And so a lot of them responded. And then I started calling all the kids that hadn't been around in a while that I wasn't seeing. And a lot of them remembered me. And so I started inviting them. And I was like, man, I really want you to come. I just, I just kind of laid it out there. And so when the day of the retreat came, there were 120, about 120 kids going on this retreat. So inside, I'm like rejoicing. Yeah, it worked. We got all these kids to come. It's going to be great. And so then I called them all in so I could give them some last-minute instructions and pray with them before we got on the buses and went. And suddenly, as they're coming in the doors, and the fellowship hall is this big room, 
at that church, and I was standing there, and suddenly, these were the thoughts that came to mind. Number one, the camp we're going to, they're going to hate it. They're not going to like this place. They've never been here. They're not going to like it. It's not a high-class, first-rate kind of camp. It's a little bit rustic. They're going to hate it. Um, the stuff I've got planned for us to do is stupid. They're going to hate it. They're going to be sitting around going, why are we doing this? This is the dumbest thing ever. The topic I picked for the weekend for our speaker, they're going to hate that too. They're going to be bored stiff. They're going to be sleeping. They're going to hate this. And I had this panic. I'm in a cold sweat. My insides are all knotted up. And I'm, I'm kind of frozen. So I back up against the wall and I, I just said, Lord, I got nothing. I got nothing. And I kept repeating that over and over. I got nothing. And I'm really, truly thinking this is about to be a shipwreck, staying with the theme there, and we're going to crash and burn, and it's going to be an awful thing, and the 60 that we still had are going to go away, and I've totally, totally demolished what was left of the student ministries at that church. That's what I'm thinking. I am in full panic mode. And while I'm saying, I got nothing, I got nothing, I got nothing, suddenly inside I heard this very clear thought that said, you're right, you got nothing, but I've got something. And the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I got real calm, and peace kind of settled over me. And I was like, okay, that's good. It's good if you've got something. And so the Lord was saying, it's okay, you don't have to have anything. Just let me do what I want to do, and we're going to have a good weekend. And it was a great weekend. I didn't try to have everything under full control. I wasn't running around making sure everything was happening as I planned it. And you know what? The other stuff that happened was awesome stuff. Fun broke out, and kids enjoyed themselves in spite of me. And it set our youth group off, that high school group, off on its incredible trajectory that uh, we even grew bigger than we had been before. We ended up with about 135 kids after a couple years coming regularly. And it was great. It was a great group to be a part of. But I had to really step back and go, okay, if I don't have it under control, I know who does. I want to give you a a video um, example of somebody who had to Uh, begin a journey of faith as well. So this is something you'll probably recognize and it'll be fun. So watch this.
I've seen that movie a dozen times, and every time I see him stick that leg up, I just kind of wait for him to take that step. It's fun. But he wouldn't have taken that step unless he had to, right? And that's what the Lord does. He puts us in situations where we've got to make that step. In that scene, his dad needs him to try and get over there. And so he's willing to do something. He's desperate. Two ways I uh, have found that the Lord brings faith through the back door in my life. Two ways, uh, two opportunities that the Lord likes to use. Uh, There may be more, but these are two that I recognize and that will probably be familiar to you. So I want to present them to you and you can uh, identify with them as as you can. And the first one is faith by way of reluctance. Faith by way of reluctance. I'm going to look at Luke chapter 5, page 786 in the Bible you've got there if you want to look that up. In this story, we're about to see Jesus um, have an exchange with Peter. And according to this, the way Luke lays it out, the previous chapter, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. So he knows who uh, Jesus is, and so they have some familiarity. They met. And then Jesus is teaching by the sea and happens to be by Peter's boat. wonder how that happened, right? No coincidences with God. And uh, the crowd is gathering and they're becoming so big and they're kind of pushing in. And so he says, uh, hey, I'm going to use your boat, okay? So he sits in the boat and he's talking to the people from the boat to give him a, a, a place to speak from. And uh, when he gets done, we pick up the story here in uh, verse 4 of Luke chapter 5. It says this, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now I want you to hear something in this. Peter's kind of the reactionary one. He's the one that's, I mean, he stepped out of the boat last week, right? He's that guy. He, the, you, know, you know those people that the moment they think of something, it's out of their mouth. Kind of, that's, that's, he's, that's Peter. He just kind of, he's out there. And so uh, I, I want you to hear this the way I believe Peter said it. And that's with that sort of sarcastic, sort of who died and left you king sort of ment- uh, attitude, uh, like, uh, you know, there's a reason we've been sitting here cleaning nets, because there's no fish out there, you know? If there were fish out there, we'd have brought them in, and we wouldn't be sitting here cleaning nets right now, we'd be selling fish. But, you know, Mr. Carpenter Boy, if that's what you want me to do. So he's probably feeling some pressure because Jesus did help his mother-in-law, and there's all these people sitting there listening to this. So kind of feels like, all right, I'll do it because these, actually, these are the people I want to sell fish to when I have them anyway. So maybe I ought to just go ahead and do this so you can see him going, all right, whatever, I'll do it. Not going to work, but I'll do it. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. He's probably still in the boat with him, right? 
Where did I leave off? Oh, fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now, did you see the difference in attitude? Verse 5, it's sort of this, whatever, I mean, I guess. Maybe some arrogance, some, some sarcasm in that tone. To sudden, incredible humility and um, something else. Just awe, astonishment, it says, of who this man is that's standing in front of them. <clears throat> Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and the fish could have jumped in the boat. He could have done that. Because they were, they were out there waiting to obey him. But he wanted Peter to do something with that faith. He wanted him to act on it. And even though it was reluctant, he did listen and go out there And so it was a lesson that Peter had to learn in such a way that when Jesus said, hey, come and follow me, his faith had gone to a level where he was able to say, yeah, of course I'm going to follow you. And so he did. Faith by way of reluctance. When I was finishing college, I was working on a degree in uh, business management, and so... I had a plan for that. I was going to work somewhere in the auto industry. That's what you do in southeastern Michigan, right? And I had worked as a volunteer in the junior high group at our church, um, the one I ended up being the pastor of, as you'll see, um, for about seven years because I'm the kind of guy that condenses a four-year degree into seven. That's me, (laughs) pushing it in to seven. So uh, I... (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so it took me seven years to get that four-year degree. Anyway, while I'm doing that, I'm having a great time as a volunteer in the junior high ministry. I loved it. Loved playing with those kids and talking to them about Jesus. It was great. And then, toward the end of that time, um, the youth department at our church was going through a shakeup. The guy that was the administrator was going to leave and go do something else. The guy that was the director of junior high ministries was going to move into that administrative role, and that left an opening there. And so this guy that was leaving, his name was John, came to me one day and said, hey, why don't you think about applying for that job? And I said, no, why would I do that? I, I'm, I got a business degree coming, you know, and I'm engaged. I got to have a better plan than that. That's not what I'm headed for. And so <clears throat> I didn't do that. About three or four days later, I realized this question's been rolling around in my head. I constantly hear Johnny asking me this question, why don't you apply for that job? Why don't you apply for that job? Why don't you apply for that job? And I kept going, no, 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 I'm not doing it. So finally I said to Robin, you know, I keep hearing Johnny ask me that question, why don't I apply for that job? I felt like I had to share that to get it out of my head, right? So being the very supportive fiance that she was, she said, well, have you prayed about it? I said, no, I haven't prayed. Why would I pray about something I'm not going to do? And so, you know, she said, well, I think you ought to pray about that. So um, if you're ever in that situation, listen to your wife, your, your girlfriend. When she said to pray about it, I said, okay, I will do that. So I started praying. Okay, Lord, if you really want me to do that, I guess I'll do that. And so then I decided, I guess I can apply for the job, but if they, if they ask for a resume, I don't have to give them one. I don't have to do that. So I did. 
And sure enough, a few days later, they said, well, why don't you give us a resume and references too? And I was like, well, I'm not going to do it. Why would I do that? And then I said, okay, well, I guess I can give them the, the resume and stuff, but I, you know, and if they decide they want an interview, I don't have to go to the interview. I don't have to do that. And so I gave the stuff, and sure enough, about a week later, they're like, well, maybe you want to come in for an interview. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. Right? Do you see where this is headed? And so then they offered me a job, and I finally said yes. Now, the other thing you have to realize is that I'm looking at other opportunities out there, and the only thing that really is hanging on that seems like a real offer and a real possibility, aside from this one that I don't want, is to be a bandsaw blade salesman. Is, is that... No, you think that's a good thing, right? No, to me that sounded like the worst secondary opportunity. Bandsaw blades? I'm going to sell bandsaw blades? Come on. So I sort of feel like the Lord was saying no, no, and taking everything away except this one that was obviously not a future type job um, so that being in ministry would seem like more of a possibility until finally I said, yeah, I guess I'll take this this job as the director of junior high until I find something worth having, right? So that was 1989, and here I am today still in ministry. I had a brief um, what, uh, leave of absence there. <laughs> we'll call it a leave of absence. But I'm in ministry, and I know that's my career, and I'm comfortable with that, and I'm glad the Lord brought me on that journey of faith. But it was a very reluctant one. I didn't want to go there. Just like Peter, I was like, okay, send the boat out. We'll throw the nets over, but I'm telling you, this is not, this is not happening. The second way that the Lord often brings faith in, or, or brings me on this journey of faith is through desperation. Faith by way of desperation. <clears throat> and I love this story in Mark chapter 9. It's on page 772 uh, in your Bible there if you want to look this up. Faith by way of desperation. And what's happened here is this man has a son who has an evil spirit, and this this evil spirit is hurting his son. And so he desperately wants a solution to this. And finally is desperate enough to come to Jesus. And uh, this is where we pick up the story. Let's go to verse 20. I know it says 14, but I'm talking a lot more than I thought. So verse 20. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. That would lead you to desperation if your kid is doing that. But if you can do anything Take pity on him and help us. Hear the desperation in that. If you can do anything, help us. And then verse 23, if you can, if you can, are you saying if I can do something? Everything is possible for him who believes. And verse 24 is a place I've been a lot in my life. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
so often I know that I have to believe that God is going to take me and I'm going to be able to get to the other side of that canyon, like in the video. Or maybe it's, it's the length of the stage. And I've been, I know I can go this far. I can go this far. And I know I've got to go over there. And I just can't do it. And I know something has to help me have enough faith to go over there. And I'm desperate. And so I say, Lord, I, this is all I got. Can you fill this in for me? Can you bridge that gap? And we all have moments where we have to say, Lord, I do believe this much, and I know it's that much. Can you supply what I need to trust you more? Can you give me something internally that I, I don't already have to help me be that faithful, to have that much trust? And that's what we really need. And so desperate times call for those desperate measures, right? You've heard that before. When I was standing there in Fellowship Hall and all those kids were filing in, <coughs> I realized, oh boy, oh boy, I can go this far, but the rest of the weekend, nothing's going to happen unless God shows up. I, I'm, I'm in trouble. I had walked to the edge of the cliff, and I'm looking across going, I can't get over there. I can't, I can't do it. I had enough to get us this far to praying before we get on the bus. <laughs> I could do that, but the rest, it's going to be the most miserable weekend we all ever had if it's up to me. And so in desperation, with nothing left, I just said, Lord, something's got to happen here. I got nothing. And sure enough, there was something there for me to stand on. <clears throat> Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to look at a couple lessons of faith from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, page 916 in your Bible. Faith uh, is described here, it's defined here, and uh, this, this chapter, the whole chapter is about faith, and it's a history of all the people that have come before that had to have faith, that had to trust something that they couldn't trust, that had to step out there into that canyon, they stepped out of the boat into the sea, either through desperation, reluctance, or whatever it was. Maybe adventure, some of them, like Peter. But they had to do it. And when they did do it, good things happened for them and for us. And so it gives us a, a definition of faith here in verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. <clears throat> And those, the, the two words for being sure and being certain are these two. Hypostasis, which means there's substance to it. There's, there's something you can sense. Um, it'd be like something you can touch, something you could taste, something you could hear, something you can see. It's that kind of a word. And that's the kind of confidence. As if faith was something you could hold in your hand and see and smell and you could hear it somehow. That's what we're dealing with here with faith. And we're talking about things that we hope for. And I don't think it's hope like, I hope it stopped raining by the time we're done here. Because we have no control, no certainty. There's, I mean, it might or might not. Flip a coin on that one. Actually, it's probably going to be raining when we're done, right? But I hope it's not. This is the kind of hope that's more like 
your dreams, your, your big picture desires, what are you really looking for? What do you really want to see happen? And in Ephesians 3, it talks about, there's a benediction at the end of chapter 3 <clears throat> that talks about how God can do immeasurably more, way more than what we could ever dream. For instance, I look at this and what I dream for our church, my hope, what I would love to see happen is for 9 o'clock or 9.15 and 11 o'clock for this place to be full. I'd love that. That's a dream of mine. That's a hope. That's one of those grand picture, that's, that's where we want to go someday. I can't make it happen. Faith gives me substance and a belief, a trust that it can happen though. And I'm not just walking around going, well, it'd be nice. Not going to happen, but that'd be nice. No, I say, that'd be nice and it can happen because I know who can make that happen. There's substance to that belief. There's, there's something tangible to that belief. The other one is elenkos, which means proof, something that can be tested, like air. Just sitting in here, if you're just sitting and, and uh, not doing a whole lot, there's, you, know, you kind of know intellectually that there's air, but the proof of it is when you walk outside and you see leaves blowing and you can feel it, well, not my hair, but some of you, it'll move your hair, right? Joe Montgomery's hair will flip over and, and swirl around his head, you know? And that's proof that there's air, that's something out there that's, yeah, brush it all you want, brother. So there's proof, that's the alenkos of what's not obvious to us. Air isn't obvious. We don't walk around like dodging oxygen all day, you know? It's just there, and we know it. It's not obvious, but, and we can't really see it, but there's proof and this is what we're talking about here when we talk about faith. Faith is what tests and proves what, what is not obvious and what we can't see. <laughs> so, two things we can walk away with. Let's go back to A. <laughs> faith gives substance to our hopes. <clears throat> faith gives substance to those hopes. What are your hopes and dreams? What has God laid before you? Sometimes he puts those dreams in our hearts and we're like, no, 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 that can't happen. But he wants to help make those happen. When I had that panic attack, I had to let God do something I couldn't do. And that relief and that sense of peace was real. It was substance for my soul. I walked away just knowing, just knowing something good was going to happen. And so I quit trying to control everything. I wasn't running around making sure what I wanted to see happen happened. And even better stuff happened. Kids liked the retreat. They had a lot of fun. They came back going, let's do that again. And it was all in spite of me. It was great. Because God decided, I'm going to do something. And I'm going to prove to you what you can't see. When I was taking those steps to take the job at the church, what wasn't obvious to me, oh, this is point number two, by the way. Faith proves what isn't obvious. Faith proves what's not obvious. So I take that step, I go, well, I guess I can um, apply for the job, and oh yeah, there's something there to stand on. Okay, I guess I can give them a resume, you know, and oh yeah, there's solid ground there too. 
and each step along the way, it was sort of a, I, but I had to stick my foot out there and kind of go, all right, interview. Okay, yeah, there's something there. Until finally I had a job in ministry and I've never looked back, really. We know we are really operating in faith when our hopes don't make us apprehensive or nervous. When those things that we can't accomplish and we know are beyond us, when those things don't grip us in fear and nervousness and apprehension. You know how that works, right? You're faced with something that's too big. When you're able to, to face those things with, um, without those things, with a sense of peace and calm, that's how you know you're operating in faith. We also know that we're operating in faith when what isn't obvious doesn't surprise us. When what we can't see, can't control, can't make happen, and we're not shocked when it does happen. That's how we know we're operating in faith. And I got to tell you, I fail those tests more often than I accomplish them. But telling you my failures doesn't teach you anything. (laughs) Showing you the times I actually did it and it worked, that's how we can succeed. So I give you these, these examples not because I'm a great faith warrior. I'm, I'm as wimpy as anybody else. But there have been a few times in my life when the Lord has done those things and it's worked and hallelujah, I learned something about faith. And I'm further along that road than I used to be. I still don't like to get out of the boat. I still would rather stay there and let it rain on me than get out and sink to the bottom. And so I don't like to get out of the boat any more now than I ever used to. So if that's you, you're like me. But the Lord is going to take us on a faith journey. And for us, that means he's going to come in the back door. He's going to bring opportunities that we're not opening the door for because we don't want them. But he loves us too much to leave us standing there kind of trusting him, sort of having a little bit of faith in him. And so he takes us on these journeys to to build us and grow us to a point where we can fully trust and rely on him and be mature in that faith. Backdoor faith, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these tests, these times in my life when you have forced me to go on journeys that I hadn't really chosen and didn't really want. Thank you for the times that uh, through desperation or reluctance you gave me opportunities to grow as a believer, as somebody who trusts in you, And you have proven yourself time and time again. For those of us who don't like getting out of the boat, who don't want to take a step into that chasm or that canyon, Lord, it is hard and you know it. You know that we're able to go a little ways, but not all the ways. You know we can go on a little journey, but the the path you have is so much further. Lord, like that man, please give us what we don't have. Take the little bit that we have, expand it, and make it so much greater so that we can believe all that we need, have all the trust we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.